What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Monkey Finance Show podcast. And today we're going to be recording episode number 59. Before we get into it, uh, I'm actually going to be talking about luck today and how important luck is in sometimes in our investment decisions. Uh, and I'll share a personal story with real estate and how luck and timing uh, made me feel like I was a real estate genius. But uh, looking back on it, almost nine, ten years ago now, I can truly say, well, I was just lucky. I wasn't a genius. But I, I want to say before I get into that, um, if you haven't listened to episode 58, I encourage everybody that listens to my podcast to please listen to episode 58. I had the great Paul Merriman. Uh, Paul, a lot of me, um, almost two and a half hours we talked, uh, but we, I have a one-hour interview uh, in podcast form in episode 58 with uh, Paul Merriman, who has been in uh, the uh, investment industry for a very, very long time, since the early 60s. So a wealth of knowledge there, um, and anybody that's interested in understanding small cap value, understanding the right way to invest, I highly encourage you to listen to episode 58. And thanks again, Paul, for uh, giving me so much time. Uh, it was really a conversation that I'm going to treasure for the rest of my life. The on-camera and off-camera conversation we had was just um, truly, truly um, life-changing for me. Uh, it it really helped put into perspective everything that I've been doing. You know, I started this media education company here that is Moki Finance back in 2019 um, with the idea that uh, I could change a few people's lives and help them free of charge, by the way, help them learn how to invest um, and how to manage money really was the, the, the end goal for me, not just the investing, but just the money management. And to go from that, you know, in October of 2019, sitting in my dining room, the same dining room that uh, I sat in in 2018 when I decided to uh, get serious about paying off my debt. To go from there, filming on my iPhone, to uh, now interviewing Paul Merriman, I think it, it really uh, brings everything full circle for me. And um, sometimes I need a uh, some motivation to keep going. And that interview and that talk, especially that talk that we had, I think um, is really uh, a lot of motivation to keep going because I'm... I feel like at the just at the cusp of breaking through, um, it's been a, a long journey for me. And anybody, and I know uh, uh, Stan started a YouTube channel who's uh, one of my private members, but anybody that's sort of in this uh, media space, whether it's social media or YouTube, podcasting, um, very, very few people become successful. A lot of people try their hand at it. And very, very few people become successful. Um, and those people generally that become successful, some of them might find very, very few of those find success um, overnight. A lot of it is just uh, putting in the work and grinding and grinding. And that's really what I've been doing for three years now. I've just been putting in the work week after week, month after month, now year after year, and just being consistent, uh, crafting my message so that uh, I can uh, be more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I could be more consistent. Uh, you know, in the beginning, in 2019, I was all over the place as I was learning investing. In 2020, I honed in on the index funds. Um, and 2021 and now 2022 has really been about more of 
um, the macro picture of investing, not so much, you know, giving you the specific index funds or telling you, um, you know, this is this fund is better than this fund, but more of about the, the, the sound principles of investing, of how you should invest, um, the right way to go, go about it, the way that uh, if you look back in the past, most people that became successful, that's the way they went about it. So thank you guys uh, for still continuing to listen and watch and support me and the channel and the message. I really appreciate it. And sometimes, like I said, I need the motivation to keep going, especially now with the kid. Uh, life's different. And uh, thanks to you, Paul. Thanks for the interview. It really... Uh, uh, gave me a big uh, boost of energy to to film and, and record more podcasts and more videos. So uh, you guys have Paul to thank for that, for uh, the uh, the slew of oncoming uh, content that you're going to see from me uh, over the next couple of months as I uh, hopefully complete my move here in the next two weeks. Anyways, let's go to uh, what today's topic is going to be about, and that's luck. Um, I was uh, Today I was actually thinking about this. I... My first ever real estate deal that I did, I was a young, young kid, um, 22, 23 years old, actually, just uh, just graduated college, and I graduated in 2012, um, and 2013, I believe it was May, no, it was March or April, I don't remember now. It was early, uh, late winter, early spring, one of those months in 2013 that I closed on my first real, t- real estate property. And it was a foreclosure. Now, if you know what happened in, you know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine was an onslaught of of people uh, losing properties uh, left and right because you know we had a a real estate bubble forming and it was forming around subprime lending. Uh, people were getting approved uh, for million dollar or half million dollar homes on a thirty thousand dollar income, right? So. Uh, the prices of real estate uh, was really inflated in 2006, 2005, 2006, and it started to wean off at the tail end in 2007. Kind of like what we're seeing today, I think. Uh, today's um, uh, price inflation is a little bit different. Today, I think real estate's inflated because there's a much uh, shorter uh, supply of real estate, and the demand is great, um, especially uh, since... Uh, 2020 demands have been through the roof and people are just going left and right stomping over people to get a a property kind of silly but that's what they're doing uh and most people that i i can't predict the future but most people that are willing to overpay you know 50 or 75,000 over asking are probably going to regret that uh, in the next 5 to 10 years of course i don't know uh, for a fact i mean maybe these prices keep going up but I, the, the the likelihood is is not that high, right? If if you have a year like 2020 and 2021, where I think over the last 18 months, real estate has appreciated, this is on average nationally about 21, 22%. Some markets uh, like Austin, probably a little bit more and other markets, maybe a little bit less, but on uh, nationally, I think it's been over 20%. That's not normal, right? Uh, typical real estate property you know, given time over time is probably averages two to three percent a year is how much it's going to appreciate and all that all that hurt from 2008 and 2009 kind of fell into my lap in 2013 when I bought my property I didn't know it though I didn't 
when I first looked at properties, in, I started looking in 2012, I had $5,000, right? And I knew about this uh, program. If you can get a FHA home path loan, you could essentially close with uh, 3% down. Uh, so if you had a few nickels in your pocket, you could buy real estate in 2012, 2013, as long as you had a semi-decent credit score. Um, and I did. I had like a 680, which isn't great, but it was it was more than enough. And I had an income that was, you know, 40000 So here I am, a young 23-year-old kid, knows nothing about real estate, knows nothing about investing, uh, and I'm out here looking for properties. And I happened to, um, by sheer luck, run into three properties, I think, on, the, I would say, the tail end of 2012, I ran into three properties that were all under $50,000 in Chicago. And these were all condos, by the way. I was uh, strictly looking for uh, one-bedroom condos near the Chicago area. Uh, I went to school in Chicago, grew up in Chicago. I was going to stay in Chicago. Uh, it's the north side of Chicago where I was looking. And those properties were available on the market for probably six months. And then all of a sudden... The same week that I went to go look at them, uh, all all three were under contract. With I mean, before I could even put in an offer, all three were under contract. I thought, hmm, uh, man, I'm really unlucky there. Looking back at it now, those properties were crap compared to the property that I got a few months later. And I think it was just sheer luck that I didn't end up in one of those three properties. And the truth is, if I would have bought any one of those three that I originally had my eyes set on, um, I would have, over that uh, period that I held this property that I just recently sold, I would have probably made twenty, thirty thousand dollars over that eight-year period, um, and I, I ended up making well, almost a hundred thousand dollars on on the property that I ended up buying it over an eight-year period. And again, the reason this worked out for me is the. 2008-2009 bubble, the burst, the supply and demand curve just flipped. So we went from low supply, high demand to basically no demand and an oversupply of property. So if you just took a dart and threw it at a dartboard, you were going to land on a real estate property. And at any point, I think in 2010, 11, 12, and 13, if you bought a property there was no way you were going to make a mistake um, uh, unless you overpaid. But again, there was not that much demand that you were going to overpay. Um, the specific property I want to talk about is the one that I actually ended up buying in uh, Des Plaines, Illinois, which was uh, north uh, northwest suburb of Chicago and home of the first ever McDonald's. We still own that here in Des Plaines. I still live in Des Plaines, by the way. Um, that property was a two-bedroom uh, 1100 square foot condo. It was bank owned, just like every other property I looked at. Uh, the only difference here was it was um, a lot nicer. It uh, had a view of a um, nice garden uh, with trees and, and bushes and had a pool and garages and all kinds of uh, stuff and amenities that all the other condos I looked at didn't have. A lot of the times I was just looking at like first floor garden units, uh, which in the city could be pretty dangerous, especially now looking at the 
some of the places I've been looking at, I'm glad I didn't buy those and live there. Anyways, I, so I find this property, and it was labeled an investor cash only property for, at first, um, and I think the list price was sixty five thousand dollars, and. I don't think any investor at that time, a real estate investor, was going to pick up that property um, because you in that building that uh, uh, that I lived in, you could not rent. Um, there was a, there was a few people that the building was uh, built in 1978, so there was a few people that were grandfathered in. There were original unit owners, but in the 90s, they uh, the association voted to not allow any renting, and this. Um, investor property because it was labeled an investment property because it was missing uh, a fridge out of the kitchen but everything else was livable i mean it wasn't uh you know the the, the bank uh, changed the carpet so it was new carpet freshly painted um had the pink tub <laughs> but it was it was livable right it's it's a condo from the 70s late 70s um that you know old kitchen old bathroom but it was livable but it was missing a fridge, so it was labeled an investment property, or it was labeled not an investment property. It was like you, it was a construction grade property, so you could have taken out a construction loan on it, just because it was missing a fridge. And I didn't understand that. I didn't. I still don't understand this to this to this point uh, uh, to this uh, uh, wording. Why was this labeled a, a construction investment property when all I all I thought was it needed a fridge? Anyways, but in a, a bid. And by luck again, I um, started getting outbid. All of a sudden, there was interest on the property. At least that's what the the seller's agent was telling my agent. And you know, I just went with the same agent my family goes with. I didn't really vet agents or lawyers or inspectors. I didn't care about any of that. I didn't know about any of that. Again, just just pure luck how I lucked into this property. Anyways, uh, we go a little bit back and forth, and I offer another five thousand. So I say instead of sixty-five, I'll give you seventy thousand for it, and I won. I won the bid, um, and I move in. Well, actually, let me explain first of all how easy this property was to get. So this FHA loan, by the way, is a government-insured loan, uh, and anytime uh, you get a, a, I guess all mortgages are government-insured now, but. This FHA loan in particular, um, you could buy with very, very little money down, and the government would insure it from default. So the banks were protected and almost encouraged to lend money to people like me. Um, so for $2,100, I got in. And then, of course, there was a little bit of closing costs um, involved and uh, lender fees and all that. But all in price that I the the check that I brought to closing was five thousand dollars for a seventy thousand dollar property, pretty cheap, and my mortgage was three hundred twenty three dollars, um, which you know in these times I think people would and I lived in this place uh, by the way all the way until last year so I had a mortgage of three hundred twenty three dollars for majority of my life and uh it was nice it really was it was uh something that i bragged about when i was like hey uh, look at me i got a mortgage of 323 because everybody's telling me oh my mortgage is 2000 1500 2500 i'm like yeah mine's 300 um and pure luck again no no skill was involved there just luck it the, the timing lined up perfectly and what 
this led to was an overconfidence bias for me later on in life, thinking that I could be a real estate mogul. I could buy real estate properties and flip them. Um, I was in at not even five years later looking at two flats and, and three flats in Chicago uh, that were selling for $300,000, $400,000. And the idea was, you know, buy, buy it, redo the units, uh, and then uh, rent them out and pocket uh, pocket the, uh, the rent money and uh, live happily ever after. Uh, luckily, I didn't have the proper uh, savings, cash savings, to be able to buy those. And uh, that's the only reason I didn't uh, uh, pursue, I think, uh, uh, real estate investing more aggressively is because I didn't have the cash because I was so terrible at saving cash. But w- the way this ties into to investing, by the way, and um, I promise I'm getting to it, is if the first investment you ever make is by a stroke of luck. Uh, let's say you know you bought Tesla in 2019 and you picked up 10 uh, shares of Tesla Okay, when it was, I don't know, 200 bucks or 100 bucks, whatever it was in 2019. And you picked up those 10 shares for 900 bucks. And then, you know, those shares go on to be worth 20,000 or $30,000 today. You might think that you um, are a genius when it comes to investing, that you are better than everybody else. Just like me backing into a real estate deal, um, which more than doubled over eight years, may surely means I'm better than everybody else in real estate. Why? Nobody else can do this. Everybody else around me is losing money in real estate, but here I am doubling uh, my money in real estate. So I'm, I'm a genius, right? And the same thing goes with investing. I think a lot of people, the worst thing that can happen to you, to you when it comes to investing is you do it right. You pick something, you pick the wrong investment, but at the right time is what I'm trying to get at. And that's where the whole luck has a lot to do with the timing of things. And if you pick the the um, wrong investment but at the right time, like you pick a Tesla or you pick a ARK Invest in March of 2020 or you pick a Bitcoin uh, in uh, January of 2021 or Deutschcoin or just name any sort of uh, fad investment that uh, has a potential to make you a lot of money in a short amount of time, there is always going to be people who are on the right end of that investment. Uh, And those are what I consider the lucky ones. And you will hear their stories. You're going to hear their stories because they did something that is impossible. But the way these stories are portrayed makes it makes it so that the average person thinks that this is possible and that it's normal, that if they did it, I can do it. When in reality, I think the story should be portrayed more like this one person uh, won the lottery. (laughs) It's exactly the same uh, odds as the lottery. Uh, It's exactly the same luck and timing as the lottery. I mean, a lot of people that win the lottery, they just... You know, they go, they're on their way home. And they, I'm just going to stop and buy one ticket. Just, you know, out of pure luck and timing that they go at that time to that machine to buy the lottery ticket. 
uh, and it prints those numbers for them. It's just pure luck. Same thing here. If you if you get any of these investments and they they skyrocket for you, it's going to be because of pure luck. Nothing that you do, uh, there's no skill involved in that. And nothing that you do uh, as far as picking those shows that you know how to invest. It just means you know how to get lucky. But you can only do that so many times. You can get lucky once, maybe twice uh, if you're really lucky. After that, the luck runs out. And um, most of the time, the problem is if you get lucky on the wrong investment, you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to recreate that luck. And instead of just accepting that it's luck, like I did on my real estate deal, instead of uh, trying to become a real estate mogul, luckily for me, I didn't have the cash to become one. (laughs) And uh, I was kind of tapped out with maxed out credit everything. So banks weren't willing to lend with me, lend me money for free. Um, So I was um, lucky there too, in a sense that I was kind of my my own uh, worst enemy in stopping myself from, you know, buying these two flats and three flats, which would have put me in probably almost a million dollars in debt. And I was okay with that. And it probably would have, um, I don't even want to think about where it would have led past that because I would have just kept going and going until I self-destructed. And what will probably happen to a lot of people that, you know, became really wealthy in Tesla or Bitcoin um, or any any investment that's uh, made a lot of money in a short amount of time is um, their luck is going to eventually run out and they're going to lose a lot of money. And it'll be a nice expensive lesson for them that they can hopefully learn from, but majority won't. They're just going to try to reenact that same scenario over and over and just continue to lose and lose and lose until it all dwindles away. And instead of us uh, looking towards people like that and trying to emulate and copy their success because the, the the problem is that success cannot be copied. You can't have, well, you can, I guess, but if somebody wins the lottery, you can't copy whatever they used and then go win the lottery for yourself, right? Like it, it doesn't work that way. The The statistical odds of that are practically zero. Same thing. If somebody invested in Tesla in 2019 and now it's 2022 and there's a lot of people on YouTube now when Tesla's at $1,000 a share are telling you to invest in it in 2022 and they're telling you to invest in it because they show you that they invested in it in 2019 and they made a lot of money. Well, they made a lot of money when the stock was $100 a share. Now it's at $1,000 a share. So you're investing at precisely the wrong time and you will not have the results they had. I don't want to guarantee it because nothing is guaranteed, but it's almost 100% probability that you're not going to have the same results. Actually, I know for a fact you won't because you're paying 10 times more for that uh, share than they did. So there's no way you're going to have the same performance as them the more likely outcome for you is going to be you're going to have uh, the tail end of of the performance of that stock and then you will either uh, panic and sell when that stock drops 50% or maybe that stock is just going to dwindle away and become nothing after 10, 15, 20 years and you're going to lose it all if you choose to buy and hold it. 
and it all has to do about luck and timing. And if you're not lucky enough to get into an investment early on uh, and you know, ride it out, which most people like me, for example, I was in Tesla early on. In 2019, I had a few shares of Tesla. Uh, I had 60,000 Dogecoins in 2018 before it was fashionable to, to own Dogecoin, right? Uh, I had Bitcoin too. I think I had at one point one or one and a half Bitcoins. And I was in it so that I could get rich overnight. I was in it because I wanted to uh, double my money in six months. And when that didn't happen, or in the case of Bitcoin, when it went from 9000 to 3000 I freaked and I sold out. And yeah, if you want to call me a paper hand, you can. But, you know, those were expensive lessons to learn, I think, for me and I'm glad I learned him because I I started to understand in 2020 that timing is everything and luck has a lot to do with your timing. And in March of 2020, I got very, very lucky because I had a lot of cash and I had a stock market that pretty much fell to 2,300. The S&P was 2,300 points in March of 2020 and I had cash to deploy and I deployed it. And then the market doubled really, really quickly. Again, very lucky on that timing that that specific time in the market, the crash occurs and that I have this pile of cash that I was actually saving for something else, but I had a pile of cash and I deployed it. Very, very lucky. That cannot be replicated. I can't um, have that uh, 2300 S&P price back. That March 2020 is long gone. So if you now go and invest in the S&P 500, and I think it's at 45 or 4,600 points uh, today, you're not going to have the same success that I did if you're trying to uh, replicate what I did back in March of 2020. But one thing you can do, one thing everybody can do, is look at the past. And I'm, I don't mean look at the last you know, five years, I'm talking about look at the last hundred years of investing and see what has worked over a hundred year period, not over a five year period, not something that's so new that has existed for only a few years. I want you to look back what has worked over the last hundred years. And when you look back at that, the thing that has worked is investing in the stock market. Not necessarily investing in individual stocks, but investing in the stock market as a whole. If you go back 100 years, the companies that were around then, most of them, I want to say 90% of them, are gone. They're not here anymore. Uh, The companies in the 1920s are gone. Um, But what's still here is the stock market. So all you had to do is invest in the stock market. And the, the best way that I found to invest in the stock market without having to be right on timing or without having the best luck with even being able to buy at all-time highs and still be profitable over your investment career is to buy and hold broadly diversified low-cost index funds. And that strategy work can work for me 
It could work for you and it could work for anybody that's willing to accept it and deploy it. No luck, no skill, no timing required. You can buy the S&P 500 today at 4,600 points and hold it over your investing career and the chances that it's going to be higher are very, very high. Again, not 100% because nothing's guaranteed, but every time, every 10-year period, if you look back in time, with the exception of a few, every 10-year period, the S&P 500 has been higher than the previous 10-year period, and it just there's 100 years of data that backs that up. Now, the problem with uh, investing philosophies today is people take that idea that the market always goes up and they apply it to individual stocks, they apply it to crypto, they apply it to gold, they apply it to any other form of investment that that statement is not true for. That statement, the market always goes up, is only true for one form of investments, and that's the U.S. stock market. It's not even true for other stock markets. If you look at the Japanese stock market, it hasn't gone up since 1980, right? Almost a 40-year period, and it hasn't gone up. So be very careful when you hear things like the market always goes up or uh, it always recovers. Yes, but what specific market? And if you go in with the approach that you saw somebody do something that was like winning the lottery and you think you can copy that approach, uh, you're going to be, I think, sorely, sorely uh, mistaken when you see uh, your performance or your results. And today I was engaging in, in the comment section an individual who was talking about the NASDAQ, the QQQ. And I tried to explain to them the same exact logic that I'm using here that um, I, I lump in the NASDAQ, the QQQs, the triple Qs with uh, the risk of single stocks, with the risk of cryptos, with the risk of investing commodities. And the reason being is the QQQ is really made up of 100 companies, but the top 10 is like 56 or 60%. So you're invested in 10 high-tech, high, high-flying companies. And if you go back to its existence since inception, which, again, is not 100 years ago, the NASDAQ as an exchange uh, was created in the 70s, but the QQQ, the actual ETF, was created in 1999, in April of 1999. So we only have about 22 years of data on it. But if you use the logic, the market always goes up on an investment like QQQ, your thinking is flawed. QQQ is not the market. QQQ is a portion of the market. And QQQ is a portion of the market that's been around for 23 years. And when you look at how it has stacked up against the market, uh, the S&P 500, it's done since 1999 the same as the S&P 500. Here's where that luck and timing come into play. If you bought it at inception in 2000, in January of 2000, let's say you bought some shares of QQQ, 
I know a gentleman that did. I think he bought it in 2001 or 2002. If you bought it at, at those prices, it took you 16 years to break even. So for 16 years, you were stuck holding the bag. For 16 years, you were losing money in that investment while the market was busting and booming, busting and booming. You were still holding the bag of QQQ. And it takes a very special individual to hold something for 16 years when everything else around them continues to go up, but their investment doesn't. I mean, it takes a very long time. But then again, if you were that lucky individual who held, or maybe you're that lucky individual who bought in 2016 after it finally broke even from that high in 2000, after that 16-year period, and then from 2016 till now, it proceeded to go up some 400% or whatever it's done. If you're that lucky individual, you cannot replicate that. So this individual who's proceeding to buy QQQ today is making the same exact mistake that the person who bought QQQ in 2000 made. They're buying at precisely the wrong time. And I can't predict the future. Maybe it goes up for a few more years. I don't know. But the in, inevitably what's going to happen is there's going to be a period of drought. And the period is not going to be short. It's not going to be a few months. It's going to be years. In the case of the 2000s, it took 16 years for it to recover. And once that period of drought enters, you're not going to hold on. You're just not going to hold on because your luck, your timing is off. And just like the millions and millions of people that play the lottery and they fill in their little lottery numbers or they do the quick picks or they do the scratch-offs, the majority of them, their luck and their timing is off. They're not going to win the lottery. And looking at uh, um, exchange like the QQQ or the NASDAQ exchange or the ETF, the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, at all-time highs, the probability of you having a return like you would have had in 2016 till now is statistically zero. It's just not going to happen. And I don't know how else I can put it. People don't understand risk management. People look at performance and they use that as a basis to select and buy investments. And I continue to stand up and say, that is a metric that's flawed. You should not look at performance. Performance over a long period, yes. But performance over the last five years is meaningless. If anything, performance over the last five years should tell you what not to buy. Because if something's done really, really well over the last five years, chances are it's not going to continue to do so. Had another uh, commenter in on, on the YouTube side who was talking about oil. He said, well, you're you're not being fair to commodities, especially to the oil sector. Or not the commodities, the the oil sector, because I mentioned sector funds in that in my YouTube community post. You shouldn't invest in those either. Uh, because he said, oil has been my best performing investment this year. I said, really? That's interesting. Okay. Now, you were in oil this year. Congratulations. You did really well. What about the people that were in oil from 2015 to 2020 who lost 
every single year, on average, 8 to 10% a year in the greatest bull run that the S&P 500 has had in its history. What about those people? That's the problem. People are very short-sighted in their thinking, and they don't know when luck is luck and when skill is skill. There is no skill in holding an oil fund in 2021. It's all luck. Just like there really was no skill for people that held oil from 2015. It's all luck. And those people that bought in 2015 lost a lot of money. And the people that bought in 2020 made some money. But the moral of this story or the moral of this episode is you don't want your investments to be based off of timing and luck. You want to go off logic and reason. You want to go off something that has a track record of 100 years, something that you can look back on and say with the best outcome possible, this is what I can do. Not buying at all-time highs and thinking that that is going to continue because that logic in itself is just flawed. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Hopefully some of you found this beneficial and those of you that still want to debate and argue me about QQQ and oil, uh, you're more than welcome to come on the podcast. I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and extend a free invitation to, do, to, to anybody that wants to come in and, and argue with me about that. I will gladly take you to school. Um, and I'm not being uh, like that commenter said. I said they said they were going to unsub because I have an ego. I'm not being an egomaniac here. I'm just trying to um, stop you from being your worst enemy. But, you know, sometimes I think people need to learn um, lessons the hard way. They need to risk their own money and lose it. And just like I told that individual, it's their money, not my money. I can give two craps what you invest in. I don't care. Um, I can just sit here and try to help you. And if you don't want to listen, that's, that's, you're going to pay the price. And uh, I'll still be here. So uh, you're always welcome to come on if you want to talk. Um, email me. Yeah, if you if you guys want to come on the podcast, be a guest, email me. And uh, so I'm not talking to myself all the time. Although I do like talking to myself, but I don't like to do that all the time. So shoot me an email. Uh, and thanks so much for listening. And as always, guys, remember, move obstacles, keep investing.